lift our hands before we sit down. Father, we thank you for your presence here. Lord, we thank you for your seeking to accomplish in us, Jesus. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you saved every single one of us for a purpose, Lord. Lord, you have taken us from the miry clay. You set our feet upon the rock. You've taken us out of the fire, and you've set us in a place of peace, Lord. And Lord, we thank you that you've done so for the purpose of raising up disciples of Jesus, people that know who their Lord is and follow and walk according to his plan and his call for us and walk in the power of the kingdom of God. And Lord, we know that each one of us are on a path. We're on the way there. We're on the way to being like Jesus. But Lord, today by your spirit, I ask you, Lord, that you'd begin to stir something in our hearts, stir something to break us through to the next level, to hunger and thirst for the living God in yet deeper ways, Lord. Lord, we thank you, Father, for what you're speaking to us in the secret place. When we get on our knees to pray, when we get on our faces to seek you when we open our Bibles to read about you. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that in those moments we're hearing from you, we're learning from you. But Lord, we want to step up and step into being the people that you've called us to be. We want to see this nation transformed for your glory. Lord, we pray, Father, fill our hearts with your word. Fill our hearts with knowledge of you. Not just head knowledge, but a knowledge of your goodness, your favor, your, your character, your love, your goodness, your severity. Lord, that we would consider all of these things and that we would know you in a life-transforming way. We praise you and thank you for that which you'll do in us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a praise offering. Thank you so much to the team. We're starting a new series today. It's on the inside of your revival times. It's this bottom section, the wells of revival, the work of, build, the work of building the kingdom of God. We're being a bit ambitious, but we'll see how we go. We're going to be focusing on some foundational elements of revival, what, what it looks like, what brings transformation, what brings change. Uh, so over the course of the series, we'll be looking at salvation. We'll be looking at being part of a body, the body of Christ, how to walk in the anointing, how to multiply the work of God through uh, making disciples. And so it's going to be an exciting series. Now, also just to note, um, in the third week, the 17th of November, we actually have a break from the series where Lawrence Tisdall who's gonna, is going to be speaking on dinosaurs, how you understand uh, dinosaurs, dinosaurs as a Christian. It's one of the biggest criticisms for the Christians. Oh, you say that the earth's only so-and-so years old. How do you explain dinosaurs? And you get into a whole big discussion. So if you've ever wondered how you answer those questions or at least understand the different issues, that's on the 17th. But from now until then and after then, right up till Christmas, we're going to be looking at this series on the wells of revival. Now, revival is a complex word. Um, it's, it's used in many different contexts, and it's used out of place in many different contexts. Sometimes people use it too lightly. Sometimes people exalt it too highly. Uh, they have revival meetings. They have revival prayer. They have faith declarations. They have a great meeting, and revival is here, or revival's happening over there. And everybody leaves a, a, a revival meeting or a place where the Spirit of God has been with buoyant spirits. You walk out of there, wow, that was amazing. I feel like God did something there. I feel like I heard from God there. But what changes on Monday? Are we back to business as usual? And too much of that kind of declaration, this is revival, on a Sunday has left people on Monday feeling jaded about what revival is. And led to people criticizing revival. Oh, you, you know, I'm sick and tired of this word revival. You know, you guys are always promising that revival's around the corner. And then you get around that corner and then it's around another corner. And you get around that corner, it's around another corner. And everybody's always waiting for revival. Now, when revival happens, you'll know that it's happening. 
There won't be any confusion about that. Revival, true revival, will shake the nation with the power of God. The word declared with boldness, with signs and wonders following. That means miracles. That means healings. That means stuff that you see and your mouth drops and you're like, oh my God, did that just happen? A couple of weeks ago, we had a couple of ladies that were deaf in their ears, taking out their hearing aids and hearing in ways that they'd never heard before or hadn't heard for a long time, depending on whether they were born like that or had developed their deafness over time. They knew that something had happened, and people in the congregation were just like, wow. Of course, there were skeptics. There's always going to be skeptics. But there were people there that were touched in a deep way, and they're saying, this is the power of God. This is what God can do. I like the way that Artie Kendall talks about um, revival. And if you want to hear more from Artie Kendall, there's a very easy way to do that. He's coming to join the Bible School Ministry and Kensington Temple Ministry teams. He's going to be lecturing six weeks, right from February all the way through to July. That is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to hear from one of the greatest theologians of our time. If ever you've thought about school, you need to be in school coming January. Amen? But the way he puts it, and he preached this, this message the day after my wedding, the 12th of May, called The Midnight Cry. And in that message, and I strongly recommend you to go listen to it, 12th of May on the kt.org, he speaks of a revival that will be characterized by a marriage, the marriage of the declared word and the moving of the Holy Spirit in power. And he makes the analogy that much of the church today is operating as part of the divorced word and spirit. Some churches live in the word, word-focused, word-only, forget about those spiritual manifestations. Other churches, crazily into the spiritual manifestations, very little foundation in the Word, trying new experiences and the gold dust and the feathers and the glory clouds. And how do you preach the gospel? Oh, what's the gospel? Spirit, Word. Bahati talks about the uniting, the marriage of, the Word and the Holy Spirit, whereby the kingdom is revealed in power. So much so that when you're on the tube, you'll hear people talking about Jesus. You're sitting there, you're the person that's been, the Holy Spirit's been talking to, you know, you need to preach to the person sitting next to you, you need to share the gospel with someone over from you, you need to tell them that Jesus loves them. You'll be the one that's always been thinking that, but they'll be sitting there, (laughs) I heard about this stuff that happened on the street the other day, some Christian rolled up, and there was some sick person, and they just healed him there and then, and the whole crowd around just couldn't believe it. They'll be talking about it, and you'll be like, I wish that I'd taken that opportunity Now I can listen to them tell me about Jesus. That's what revival will be like. It will be where the news are reporting the miracles. And of course, there will be controversy. There will always be controversy around the things of the kingdom of God. Jesus himself got criticized by the highest religious authorities of the land. They even killed him for it. They killed him for the fact that in Sabbath days, he would go in and cause people who were sick, withered arms, lying paralyzed on beds, bound over. He would heal them and then they would criticize. Why? Because it was Saturday. You can't do that kind of stuff on Saturday. Wait, what? The whole thing was about seeing people healed and restored. The whole thing was about seeing people liberated. The whole thing was Jesus living out Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, that I might preach the gospel to the poor and set at liberty the captives. That was what the whole thing was about. Of course there will be criticism. The news will be reporting it. But the whole city will know 
that there is a God in heaven and his name is the Father, his Son is Jesus Christ. Amen? The whole city will be declaring that. They might or might not bow the knee. Ultimately, they will have to bow the knee. But everybody will know that is what revival is like. That is the context and content of true revival. Now, of course, we hold and can hold revival meetings, but they must be understood in that wider context. Whenever we have a revival meeting, it is pointing towards what God intends to do. It's in our own way, perhaps a small way or a big way, whichever you want to describe it as. It's big for London right now, but it's small in the context of what God can do. We're making room for Him today to move as He wants to move then, in miracles, in healings, in demonstration of supernatural gifts. Everything that we do in a revival meeting is a seed that will produce a harvest in the future because we're looking forward to a true revival breaking out right across London. But for us personally, something has to happen. Whenever we are in a revival meeting, or anything that's called a revival meeting, something must change in the way that we think. If it doesn't first start with the house of God, how is it going to affect anybody that's out in the world? And the, changing the, the change that must happen is we need to step out of pe- being people that just hear to being people that will do. You know, there's a great prophecy over this house that people will walk in through those doors, those great, beautiful double doors that have probably been there since the building was built, walk in with the word doers on their forehead, but having heard the word of God, they walk out with the word, sorry, hearers when they came in, doers when they went out i.e. they take the Word of God and they say, what that Word, that Word is going to change my life. That Word is going to minister. That Word is going to cause me to love somebody that I wouldn't have loved before. We don't just agree. It's a, the biggest trap is to just agree. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I saw that in the Bible. He's not talking rubbish. Okay, let me carry about, on about my business. That's the biggest trap we can fall into. The best decision that we can make is any time we hear a word that pierces our heart, something has to change there and then. And we, let me just help you with this. To become a doer, 21 days to make a habit in your life. Right? So you hear something and you take an immediate action point out of it. I need to read my Bible. I need to pray more. The next person I see that the Holy Spirit talks to me about speaking to, I need to speak to them. You make an action point, and then you walk it out. Because if you don't start to walk it out, if you don't do it every day for 21 days, then it's not going to become part of you. You'll be sitting there thinking, oh, that was a great word that so-and-so preached. can't remember what he said, but I remember that I felt good. But when you know that you've taken something and you've made it a part of you and you've done something because of it, then it will form a habit and you will be a doer. 21 days. Change the way that we think about coming to services. We come to service to get something to do, to change, to be, so that when we go out into the world, we can be Christians, not say we're Christians. It's a very big difference. I've actually been saying to my 12 and, and 300 recently, stop calling yourself Christians. Be the best disciple of Christ that you can be. Be the best follower of Jesus and let other people call you Christians. You know, sometimes that can be the biggest hindrance. We're scared of saying, I'm a Christian, Christian. The biggest hindrance 
to us actually being Christians. You know what? You don't need to say that you're a Christian if you're living like a Christian. People will look at you and say, oh, well, that person, there's something different about them. Amen? And when we're busy doing the things of the kingdom of God, and that means pursuing the knowledge of God, walking in your identity and purpose, living in your inheritance, walking in love towards other people, you will ignite the same in others. That's the seed of revival. When people actually start to live like Jesus did. Paul, living like Jesus did, won half of the known world during his time. Because he, what, Jesus healing people? Okay, heal people. Jesus preaching the gospel? Okay, preach the gospel. Jesus Jesus casting out devils? Okay, I'll cast out devils. See, Paul did what he saw Jesus doing. Some people think that Paul was the next step up from Jesus. How wrong can you be? Jesus is the Son of God. Paul was imitating the Son of God. And in his lifestyle, he brought revival. He brought transformation. And if we're going to keep doing those things, let me humbly suggest to you that we need to keep refocusing ourselves and our attention on the core spiritual truths. And these core spiritual truths are essential. We focus on them because it's part of the wrestle that we experience with the flesh that we live in. It's very easy for us to get distracted by other things, get running away to focus on whether we should, whether we should talk in tongues in public or not, whether we should only talk in tongues in private, whether we should be allowed to practice spiritual gifts, whether we should, we should baptize babies or adults. You know, there's all these kind of discussions that are sideline issues when we focus on the core things of following Jesus Christ. But we get distracted. We get distracted because it's the ways of the flesh. And we need to often come back to the basics to check ourselves. Am I living this out? Am I doing this? Because I have no business talking about eschatology if I don't know what is going on on my day-to-day with what Jesus has given me to do now. We need to be watchful of this because every single revival has ultimately petered out Because there's been a loss of the core priorities. Worship of God as a priority. The making of disciples as a priority. Becoming like Jesus as a priority. We get centered on other things and then the revival begins to lose its momentum. Because you start to argue about organization and who's in authority and who's this and who's that. Instead of keeping things focused on what Jesus has given us to do. Let's humble our hearts and the entirety of our lives to focus on his core priorities. So today we're going to start with salvation and look at salvation. John chapter 3 verse 1 through 17 is the great story of a, uh, a ruler of the Jews named Nicodemus. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus, obviously an important character, somebody that's well-respected in the temple, also well-respected amongst the people. Uh, He's not the high priest, but obviously a person of influence. And he's been hearing about and seeing some of the things that Jesus has done. He's seen the sick being healed. He's heard the preaching of the gospel. Maybe he's heard the Sermon on the Mountain. There's something in his heart that's saying, wow, this this Jesus, he's teaching things that I've never heard before. He's teaching things that have so much power that they can only come from God. But he's concerned. He's concerned because he's a man of position and prominence. He can't come to Jesus in the day. 
Because he's not coming with an accusation. He's coming with a question. See, all the guys that came to tackle Jesus in a day, they must have been standing amongst themselves. You know, who's going to get Jesus this time? You, you, you got something? Yeah, yeah, I've been studying the word real hard. I know how I'm going to make Jesus fall this time. I'm going to ask him which is the greatest commandment. Or another coming to say, you know, why, how do you do these things? By what authority? Because it was always about challenge. It was always about confrontation. It was always about trying to prove Jesus wrong. But this guy came from a different perspective. He came from the perspective of, <laughs> I need to learn something from Jesus. But I don't want to do it in a public place because there I'll have to be full of pretense and probably have to accuse Jesus of something. And I'm not going to get the answer I want because I'm a man of prominence. I have to, to live up to my place. So rather he comes by night and he acknowledges Jesus does the things that he's doing because of the power of God. And Jesus seeing this opportunity gives him the core thing that this guy lacked. Nicodemus knew the word of God. He knew how to pray. He knew how to give sacrifice. He knew how to be a leader in his home. He knew how to be a leader amongst the people. He knew all of that stuff, but he lacked this one central significant portion. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now this title, born again, some people make a mockery of it these days. Oh, you say you're a born-again Christian. Oh, nothing changed about the way you're living. Oh, this person says they're a born-again. Not just a Christian, they're a born-again Christian. I had one of my friends talking to me the other day, and he knows that I'm a minister. He's like, yeah, yeah I met a born-again Christian the other day. Are you one of those? Well, how did I get to be a minister if I wasn't a born? Of course, there are people out there that are ministers and not born-again. Because there needs to be an encounter, a supernatural encounter with Jesus. And Nicodemus looks at him and says to him, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Of course not. Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how then will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It seems there's some confusion for Nicodemus. He doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about when he says, you must be born of water and of the Holy Spirit. Because he doesn't understand one core part of this message, this being born of the Spirit. What is that? 
What does it look like? I mean, are you just trying to say that we would have God dwelling on the inside of us because we're born of the Spirit? I'm not too, too sure I'm comfortable with that because, you know, God is God and we're human people. God is separate and we are, I've heard of people that have received the Spirit. I mean, the prophets, they walked with the Spirit upon them. They lived speaking under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but being born of the Spirit, that's a little bit of a bridge too far because you'd be saying that we're children of God then. And I'm, children, I'm a child of Abraham. I'm a child of Moses. But this child of God piece, maybe that's too far. And there's a hardness in his heart because he's unwilling to receive the ultimate gift from Jesus that he could have. And that is to be born again by water and by the Spirit. Now, my goal is to try and make that born again of the Spirit piece a bit more transparent for us today. But we need it to be born again. These words, when we hear them read, when we read them ourselves, they should cause something to stir in us. If they don't cause something to stir in us, perhaps our hearts aren't ready to receive something of the supernatural yet. Perhaps at this point in time, they're hardened to the things of God. And if that's the case for you, I earnestly plead with you, you have a choice about how hard your heart is. You have a choice. You always do. If you choose not to receive the things of the kingdom of God, that's your choice. But to receive the things of the kingdom of God, we must understand the supernatural element of this salvation. Jesus is talking about something so profound that we can only understand it if we understand it from a spiritual perspective, i.e. the Holy Spirit gives us inspiration to understand it. But these words being born again of the Word and born again of the Spirit are supernatural words. You know, one of the sad things, maybe, or maybe the happy things, depending on which stage in life you are at, is we're getting older. The 17-year-old or 15-year-old is always looking forward to being 21, but once you hit 21, it's, oh my God, let me not tell anyone it's 22, 23, 25, 30, 35, 50, 60, 75, 80. Until you get to Daisy Ann's age, she's not here tonight, today, but she would be celebrating. I'm 93 and I'm going on to 94. <laughs> but we're getting older. And the older we get, the more mistakes we make. <laughs> Just the way it is. I and mean, we might get better and better at making fewer and fewer mistakes, but we're still accumulating mistakes. And some people would actually call that sin. And the only way to wipe the slate on sin is for you to be born again. I.e. start all over again, but start all over again from a different footing, a different perspective. I.e. Starting, again, again, starting all over again with God. And that rebirth, that new birth, born again experience is a supernatural encounter with God. And I want to ask you, is your faith supernatural today? Is your faith supernatural? You can't say it, you know. Yes. Is your faith supernatural? Amen. Are you enabling other people to be supernatural? 
Are you growing to be at least? We all need to be walking the path where the Christian life that we live enables other people to be supernatural. But I, I want to speak to this because some of us are confused about what, whether we say yes or no in this context because we look around at some of the examples of Christian religious piety and think, oh, that's, uh, that's, that's being a Christian. Coming and sitting in a service and just nodding at the right points in time and, hmm, yes. If you can finish off the scripture I'm about to quote, then go ahead and do so because you're super spiritual. But if you're outside and nothing is different about the way that you live your life, then there's a falsehood there. But that image that's presented in church is often what people model themselves on and they think, whoa, Jesus, you look awesome, but I don't want that. I don't want to be sitting politely and just umming and ahhing at the right point in time and then going out and being the same. One of the things that was in my heart when I came back to church after a period of six years backslidden, one of the things that was in my heart is, I will only do this, God, if it's Monday to Sunday, living for Jesus' power. If it's anything less than that, I don't want it. And thank God that it's possible to live that life. It's possible to live a life where you're walking in experience with the living God. See, you can join the Pew Massive if you want to, but that's not what Jesus created you for, and that's not what he saved you for. He saved you that you might measure the life that you live by the word demonstrated in power in your life. Now, we need to remind ourselves of this daily, because our minds need to be renewed daily. There's more. There's always more in the kingdom of God. You know, I'm really struggling today. Well, there's more. Well, I woke up and I'm tired today. Well, there's more. You know what? I woke up today and I'm sick or I'm struggling with a, a terminal sickness. There's more in the kingdom of God. That is not it. That is not the culmination. There is always more. The salvation that we have received is so great that if we could just dwell on that and allow our minds to be renewed on a daily basis, we would see transformation. And what is the more that I'm talking about? It's things like being able to love the people all around us. Yes, especially the person that's sitting over there that you're avoiding over here. I'm not pointing at anyone in particular, but you know. Loving them, loving the unlovable, loving the people that hurt you, loving the people that betray you, loving the people that you still need to forgive and you're wrestling with it, but you're still walking that way of forgiveness. That's more. Because love not only covers a multitude of sins, but love is what compels compassion. Love is what brings about healing. Love is what brings about restoration. Love is what causes you to get on your knees before God and say, I'm going to pray until something happens in this person's life, until a miracle happens. Love facilitates the life of the uh, disciple of Jesus Christ. It compels us in that direction. And here we've looked at John's example. Now, if we want to be a bit theological about it, there is consistency amongst John, Luke, and Paul. John evidently talking about water baptism and spirit baptism. Luke, central to his presentation of making a disciple, repentance and belief, water baptism, spirit baptism. Paul, exactly the same. His emphasis a little bit more that we need the Spirit in order to say that Jesus Christ is Lord, but he never detracts from water baptism and being baptized in the Holy Spirit and in power. There is a consistency of the message amongst these three, which speaks to how we are made a disciple or how we are born again. And Why do you need to be born again? 
We have a great legacy and history right across the ages of Christianity of individual men and individual women who got gripped by the power of God and they began to live out of that power and saw amazing things happen. We know the John Wesleys of the world who's, who was a preacher, who ministered, who preached the gospel, but then one day he had an encounter with God where his heart became warmed. I, it says in his letter, my heart became strangely warm. This was something unusual. This was an awakening of the spirit inside of him. This was a rebirth experience. Guys like Charles Finney who wandered into a wood one day to pray and just felt such an anointing of the presence of God that he fell on the ground and just didn't know what to do with himself. And he just kept going back day after day after day to experience and encounter God. Guys that are, you'd read about in one of Roberts's God's General's books and women that you'd read about in one of God's General's books. And they are all people that have had such a powerful meeting with God or such a significant born-again experience that it changed their lives so much that we know their names today. But why do you need to be born again? For a long time, the church preached you just need to be born again so that you make it into heaven. I hope that you know that your life is about much more than just making it to heaven. As the Holy Spirit is doing something new today where the saints are being raised up. See, there's a limit to how many leaders, how much room there is for leaders at the top we can have. We know that we have our apostolic leaders, Colin and Amanda Dye, here in Kensington Temple. There's limited space. There's only room for one senior minister in the house, though we might say that Colin and Amanda, rather than being at the top, have been actually serving us in the entirety of their lives by giving their lives for us and the wisdom and the prayer and the preaching and the sacrifice. They've been serving us all of this time. But just because there's limited room at the top in a senior minister role doesn't mean that the rest of us just sit as part of our following. We get up and we follow. We get up and we do. There is a perfect place for every single one of you to participate in the body of Christ where you can come and bring your gifts, you can come and bring your talents, you can come and bring your life to serve him. And it all begins with this new birth experience. So let's look a bit uh, more in depth of what the new birth experience is. You might be walking along one day, and suddenly somebody stops you. And they do the usual, you know what, Jesus loves you. And normally you'd be like, yeah, whatever. I've heard you preachers before. You're crazy like the dude that's down on Oxford Circus shouting about you're sinning, you're not winning, and you're winning, you're not sinning. I don't know what you guys are talking about. But this time you decide to stop and say, okay, tell me a little bit more about what you mean by Jesus loves me. You know, how's that love expressed? And they begin to talk to you about the works of Jesus, you know, the, the mission of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, God, Jesus is God on earth, putting on human flesh to live like you and me. Jesus has experienced the loss of friends, the loss of family, the betrayal of loved ones, the, the sacrifice of, of living a life that is separated to God. He's experienced all of that, and he went through all of that so that he could come to one point where he gave his life on the cross for you. Uh, I didn't ask him to do that. Why, why, you know, why am I now guilty for the fact that Jesus decided that he was going to live, give his life on the cross? I mean, thanks very much, but no thanks. Okay, okay. I hear where you're coming from. But God's love transcends what you think is acceptable or not acceptable for God to do for you. 
I mean, you always seem to make demands upon God. God, why did you let this happen? God, why did you let that happen? I'm not going to believe in you. When he comes to express what he has already done, you're unwilling to accept that. Why is that? They might turn around and say, I've got a hard heart towards God. They might turn around and say, you know what, I've never thought of it like that, that God actually loves me beyond my capacity to receive from him or my desire to actually take anything from him. You know, I'm used to people that love me because, or say they love me, because I'm giving them stuff. I'm the one buying them the gifts. I'm the one that let them move into my house when they, they, when they won't marry me. I'm the one that is always being abused and being put upon and called at 3 a.m. in the morning. So that's the way that I've experienced love. But to hear about a love where somebody, regardless of what they might get back from me, gave their life for me, oh, that's something different. You know what, maybe I need to change my heart and my mind on that issue. Maybe I need to accept that at some point. Maybe it happens in that first conversation. Maybe it's down the line. But you say, you know, I've, I actually, I'm so overwhelmed by that message that Jesus died for me, that I want to follow him. See, because it doesn't end in his death. He did die for us. But the power of God is revealed in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, we can argue as much as we want, right? But the eyewitness testimony recorded at the time, over 500 people saw Jesus alive from the dead on multiple occasions after he'd been crucified in his mother by the high priest who wanted him dead under the watch of Roman soldiers whose lives depended on doing their job. We can say, oh, Jesus didn't die on the cross. Why was his mother standing there? Oh, Jesus didn't die on the cross. Well, why did they pierce his side and see water and blood come out? Oh, Jesus, you know, he just passed out. Okay, well, try put 100 pounds of spices on somebody as part of an embalming process and see how well they do after they've just been on a cross for a few hours and had their body ripped apart. Let's think about it just a little bit. Go through it. And then, three days later, Jesus walking around for a period of, of 20, uh, 37 further days, walking around in the flesh, talking to people, eating with people that knew him and that recognized him as Jesus. Oh no, they were all high. Okay. Well, I, last time I got drunk, because I don't, didn't get high, but last time I got drunk and I heard my other friend that had got drunk that night, we sat down to have a little chat about what happened the night before, and our stories were, one was going in that direction and one was going in that direction. There was no coherency. 500 plus people seeing Jesus alive from the dead, are you trying to say that they were all lying? That testimony is the testimony which we put our faith in today. Because he rose from the dead, that's something powerful and significant to us. A testimony which we choose to put our faith in or not. Which, not choosing to blindly put our faith in something, we're putting our faith in a story which is recounted in history and transmitted to us through the written word of God until today. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Brett. After that conversation, you might choose to, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to choose to if you want to, repent and believe. Turn your mind around from thinking that God is not represented in Christ to actually accepting that Jesus is God and believe in his sacrifice for us. Then we have water baptism and spirit baptism. These are integral parts of the born-again experience. They must be partaken of. 
and it's controversial. We have so many different streams of Christianity that divide on these issues, yet John and Luke and Paul all teach about the importance of baptism in the Holy Spirit and baptism in water as a part of you being made a disciple of Jesus Christ. In Romans 6, Paul's great treatise on what baptism is, it is a means of grace whereby we bury the body of sin and are enabled to choose righteousness. Have you been water baptized today? You know, if you haven't been, I guarantee you that the day after that you get baptized, or even the day that you get baptized, you will have a whole new revelation of God that you didn't have before. Because it's not just about public witness. Oh, we just get baptized to let everybody know I'm a Christian, and one day when I'm bold enough, then I might get up there and get baptized in front of everyone. In the meantime, I'm just going to have a bathroom baptism. No, this is about a spiritual encounter whereby you bury the body of sin and step into the freedom that is in Christ. See, the greatest trick that the devil ever pulled on you, not on the person next to you, but on you, is trying to convince you that you still belong to him. And it convinces you in the fact that we, I'm still wrestling with sin. I can't overcome this sin. I'm trying as hard as I can to get out of this sin. Do you know what? We've just done that all of our lives up until the point in time when we got saved. Why don't we get a new idea? I don't deal with my sin on my own. I deal with my sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. I bury that old body of sin, and I begin again, born again, start again, new. Begin to live out the kingdom of God principles for my life. Begin to live in the power of the Spirit. Begin to walk free from sin where I can actually choose righteousness. If only we would truly believe what Jesus says in Romans 8 verse 1. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the ways of the flesh, but walk in the path of the Spirit. Now, there's a caveat, it seems there, but in Romans 8, 9, it immediately goes on to say, if you've received the Spirit, then you're in the Spirit. That's your new position. Then Spirit baptism. Now, the Spirit, of course, is involved in your salvation, brings you to the place of salvation, brings witness to your heart that Jesus is the Lord. But then we receive the Spirit in power when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. In Pentecostal churches, we teach that that is demonstrated by speaking in tongues as one of the major signs, if not the major sign. There are also uh, speaking in prophecy or speaking with revelation that Jesus is the Son of God, but a change in the way that we speak most significantly demonstrated in tongues. And if you can pray in tongues, man, you can get strong in the Spirit. If you need a more exhortation on that, you can listen to other messages we've preached here. But those components are essential for you to have a good birth, to become a good disciple, to be able to live out the the Christian life as Jesus intended. We must be born again, born of water and born of the Spirit. Sometimes people, I just want to be born of water. Oh, I just want this bit. I like this bit. Let's be born of the Spirit. Jesus, God himself, you must be born again, born of water and born of the Spirit. Now, we could go on and expand a lot about what that means. In the sight of God, essentially what it means is that you've been made new. Ephesians 4, 20, but you have not so learned in Christ, if indeed you have heard him, and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, 
which grows corrupt according to the lustful deceits, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We need to walk this out, but it begins with being a born again. We walk out the newness. We walk out the fact that we are in God, in Christ, made new. And when you're made new, you can react to the world differently. It means that you're actually empowered to forgive instead of being the same as everybody else, grumbling about everybody else. And do you see what they said to me and the way they looked at me? And how dare they wear the same dress as me? And how dare they have the same this and that? We can live different. We are empowered to forgive when people slander us, when they speak negatively against us, when they betray us. We are empowered to forgive. We are enabled to stop complaining. You know, one of the worst things about complaints is we're putting the responsibility for following Jesus in somebody else's court. Oh, you know, if you just would treat me with a little bit of respect, or if you as a Christian would just stop talking about sin, or if, if you would just stop preaching at me, then maybe I'll think about following Jesus. And then they stop. Oh, no, but if you would just stop doing this, and we come out with a whole long list, and you know what it is? Excuse, 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 excuse. I don't really want to follow Jesus, so I'm going to make excuses. The only one that's responsible for following Jesus in your life is you. Your ability to be like Christ doesn't depend on how well people treat you. It depends on how much you want to follow Jesus. It depends on how serious you are about being obedient to his word. Quit griping, quit complaining, and start following. And Jesus was able to say, forgive them for they know not what they do at the cross. Stephen, the first martyr, was able to say, forgive them for they know not what they do because they caught a revelation that it doesn't matter what people are doing to us, it matters who God says we are and how we're going to live towards them. That begins with being born again. Two more minutes. I bring it back to the first point, repentance and belief. In this world today, I don't like you saying I'm a sinner. I, I'm not comfortable with you Christians and your original sin theme. I'm not comfortable with the fact that you're saying that I'm a bad person because of sin. Listen, I'm sure you're a great person. I really am. But compared to God, we're all bad. That's the way it is. You might be better than the person next to you, but in the sight of God, still not made the cut. And that's as simple as it goes. There are people out there doing awesome things, and we always get these questions. What about that person that's given their life to feed the poor? I love them. They're doing such amazing things. They're an inspiration to me. But if they don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, if they're not born again, then they're at the same level as I am before I knew Jesus as my Lord and Savior, at the same level as you are before you knew Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I don't like you saying that I need to repent. That is a symptom of old man sin-controlled thinking. You cannot be enlightened. You cannot walk in the light. You cannot walk in the truth if you insist upon continuing in old man thinking. It's the centrality of being saved, repenting, turning around, and believing in God. If we don't do that, we cannot be saved. But if we do do that, we're entering into the born-again experience. We're entering into the kingdom of God. We're entering into the possibilities of God. Now, there are perils 
of ignoring God. Oh, you know, here comes the here comes the bit where you speak about the judgment of God. No, no, no. What we're talking about here is you receiving penalty that's due you for your lifestyle choices. You're earning what you're paying for today. If you choose to hate people and not seek forgiveness, if you hate your brother in your heart in the sight of God, you've committed adultery. If you choose to look at somebody lustfully, you desire them sexually. In the sight of God, you've committed adultery. Now, everyone in this room, before you got saved, and possibly some since you got saved, have been guilty of that. But the ones that are in Christ now are forgiven. The ones that are outside Christ, you haven't received forgiveness for that. Now, the penalty for forgiveness, Murder and adultery is death. That's the penalty. It's you receiving what is due you because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, Instead of getting offended at God, recognize that the reason you need to repent and believe is because the sin you're committing is leading you on a path of destruction. And you're only going to get what you deserve. But God is calling out to us, from mercy, from compassion. It's a gift that he wants to give us. If you'll only believe in my son Jesus, if you'll only believe what he's done for us on the cross, if you'll only believe that he died for you and he loves you and he wants to give you eternal life, if that is all that you would believe, then you would get that eternal life. We need to understand that God is holy. His kingdom is holy. His heaven is holy, and only holy people are going to get there. And that's the people that are made righteous in Christ Jesus. Nobody else, nobody that's try hard, nobody that wishes they make it, nobody that thinks they earned it, but those that are made righteous in Christ Jesus. We need to have a real born-again experience. Let me pray for you. And there's some of you today that do need that born-again experience. What I want you to do, if, if, you're, if you're with us today, is to lift your hand up before the Lord while we're praying and say, I want Jesus. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, to us. You came that we might know your forgiveness, that we might know your love, that we might know your life. And we recognize, Jesus, that we enter in by repenting and believing, by being born again of water and of the Spirit. We desire that born-again experience. So, Lord, I pray for everyone here that they would have a supernatural encounter with God, which leads them to a place of receiving that forgiveness. <coughs> if you're here today, I want you to raise your hand if you do receive, want to receive this born-again experience. And, Lord, I announce to these people that are raising their hands that they are forgiven because of the work of Jesus that they would receive that forgiveness deep in their hearts, that they would know the cleansing of the blood of Jesus. And to all of us who are seeking earnestly to follow you, I thank you, Lord, that you would bring about that supernatural dynamic in our walk with you. Lord, that the spirit and life that you've given us would begin to increase and enlarge, that we would leave behind sin sin, and that we would choose righteousness, (laughs) that we would choose to walk in your way, And we'd see your power revealed in us. 
And Lord, we thank you that not only will we see it, but in the people that we start to disciple, that we would bring them to a genuine born-again experience, baptized in water, baptized in the Spirit, and that they would be set up to follow you, Jesus, and become new creation beings. Lord, we break off every chain of the enemy that hinders your people here this afternoon. Everything that is binding our minds, everything that is binding our lives, we break it off, and I break it off in the name of Jesus on the declaration of the Word of God, that we are born again, that we are righteous in Christ. I thank you, Lord, that the enemy has no power to deceive us, to destroy us, to bring us into deception, to bring us into false ways of living, because we are appointed to be Christians, to be followers of Jesus, to be born again. Lord, I thank you that that born-again experience would lead us to a place of love and of life, that we would love people passionately, because of the freedom and the newness that you've brought in us. We thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big praise. If you did respond today, there's someone standing around, and they'll be able, glad to help you if you want to ask some more questions. Also, if you did respond, but you don't, don't see someone by you, please do come and talk to one of the team. They're wearing these nice badges today. Um, God bless you. Bruce is going to be here at the five o'clock talking about the power of speaking in tongues. And at seven o'clock tonight, we have the Stavanger Gospel Choir as part of our revival service. God bless you. Thank you for your patience. I'll be with you next week for the 2.30 service. See you again.